This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today our guest is John Diaz. For 25 years, John was the award-winning editorial page editor of The Chronicle, but he is retiring this week. And not only has he shaped public opinion on many issues in California during that time, but he has watched a generation of national political leaders grow up over the years. Right before him, start with Vice President Kamala Harris and Gavin Newsom, and hey, even Nancy Pelosi was a backbencher when John started. He'll share some stories about them. Plus, he'll tell us about the editorials and endorsements that, looking back, you might want to do over on. And he'll share some great behind-the-scenes stories about life in the ivory tower, as I always tease him. And now, here's our conversation with my friend, John Diaz. John Diaz, my friend and frequent guest host, welcome back to It's All Political. Welcome to my backyard in Oakland. We will be hearing many sounds here, this being the town. We'll, we'll hear some birds. We'll hear traffic, we'll hear the subway, we might hear, you know, police sirens, we will hear screaming children, but, you know, that's the uh, cinema verite. Of and, for, and for all this uh, background, all these children, all these crows, it's all political. It's all political. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so you're, for, for those who have not heard, you are retiring from the Chronicle this week after 25 years as the editorial page editor. And, uh, and, and it's fascinating because you've watched sort of a generation of national leaders grow up before you. Uh, that, that list starts with the vice president, Kamala Harris, so you never thought you'd say that, and Governor Gavin Newsom. Also includes, you, you've watched Nancy Pelosi grow up from sort of a backbencher to a, uh, the, the Speaker of the House. You've had a long history with Dianne Feinstein and, of course, Jerry Brown and, and everybody throughout California politics, national politics, have come through uh, the editorial page. They're making, making the pilgrimage to the ivory tower, as we like to say, to, for, to ask for your blessing. Uh, let's start with Harrison Newsom, who you, who you know very well at this point. You've watched them since before they were elected to anything. Was there anything that you saw with them back then that led you to believe that someday this person would be vice president of the United States, this person would be governor of California, or was it like kind of a right place, right, right time? Or what, take us back to those early days when they first walked in the door. Joe, I think there's no question that uh, the first time I met Kamala Harris, uh, actually it was before she was running for district attorney, uh, she was coming in on a, a proposition that would make it easier to prosecute uh, minors as, as adults. Obviously, she was against that. Uh, very impressive. Uh, same thing with uh, Gavin Newsom. The, when he first he was appointed supervisor, but the first time he ran, he came in. Each of them was slicker, more polished. Uh, you know, you could see, and they were they were they were young. They were very different than. You know, your typical board of supervisors candidate. In, in which way were they were they different? Well, they, they clearly they they clearly had it going on with you know they were articulate they they looked good they were uh, had you know policy chops you know they didn't did their homework um, 
you know, they, they were they were definitely a cut above, but could you extrapolate that to Kamala Harris being the vice president of the United States or even Gavin Newsom, the governor of California? Uh, no, not really. In fact, I, Joe, I think about the uh, the day in uh, when they were both uh, sworn in and they had their swearing ins at City Hall and the, each of them had that that sense of that aura of expectation about their career. But to go as far as they did, you you can't you know it's, it's like when you see your child playing the piano, and you you, know, you don't you don't expect that they're going to be at Carnegie Hall someday. Yeah, yeah. And they I, I've heard people say, and I, I'm uh, and these are from Newsom's people. He has said that he would be on his toes the most when he would come into the editorial board because you knew him the longest, and so he was he was. Uh, definitely a little it was a looser i've he's definitely a little bit looser but he's also uh i was told from insiders that he was more prepared for that yeah he was definitely prepared in fact a little, little joe, over prepared joe, i would say <laughs> too prepared uh i believe you may have been there the day that uh he came in and i as i am as want to do when a uh, uh politician comes in invite them to give a short emphasize short opening presentation i think i timed gavin one time at 28 minutes. <laughs> and then, then finally, I interrupted him. He did not stop at 28 minutes. I said, do you mind if we ask a question? <laughs> I think I, I was really trying to stifle, stifle an oh no when you asked for an opening <laughs> statement because that could, that could have gone on for a while. All right, so he's facing, very likely by the time we record this, or by the time this posts, uh, we will, the, uh, the recall will have, uh, the signatures will have been filed and uh, very likely that he will be facing a recall what uh number one you're you're not a fan of a, of a recall in this in situation and compare it to when gray davis was recalled what what are the differences between these two guys being recalled well one of the differences uh is nobody really liked gray davis in sacramento <laughs> even among his fellow democrats um gray davis did not have uh he, he he had a bit of a short temper, which I saw and heard on a number of occasions, including a uh, voicemail that I still have to this day. Really? What did he go <laughs> off on? I, I, I've well, never experienced this. Oh, Davis. my gosh. He, he definitely was thin-skinned when it came to. We were editorializing about the way he was dragging his feet on a financial privacy bill that had been real uh, big emphasis of our editorial page. And, uh, <laughs> and there was one day... When when it turned out that the bill was getting killed, and and clearly Davis's fingerprints were all over it because you know they they weren't going to pass a bill that a Democratic governor was going to veto. Uh, so even before even b before I called him to to ask for a comment, phone rings. It's Steve Maviglio, his press secretary, said, "I hear you're working on a story on financial privacy. Would you like to uh, speak to the governor?" And I said, yeah, sure. I wasn't expecting that he would respond because he'd been a little testy at other times. So he, he goes, well, Mavigliel goes, here he is. Gray Davis's first words were, you effing pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> and it, 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 A rare F, person F, to get emotion out of Gray Davis. Effing was the euphemism. Wow. <laughs> and uh, and th then he went, he went ranting on about... Uh, it, he either has an incredible memory 
or somebody handed him all the critical editorials. <laughs> oh no! Over the last couple of years. Oh no! Uh, whereas I think you know Gavin Newsom. I mean, he's had his moments. Uh, he's also has a reputation of being very thin-skinned. He didn't play well in the sandbox with the board of supervisors. You know, he has his problems now. But do, 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 have you seen him grow up or change at all? In that oh, time? absolutely. I think uh, you know Gavin Newsom as much as any any politicians I, I've. I've witnessed has really matured in the public limelight. You you go back to uh, you know when he first was mayor and and got in a lot of I mean let's face it the board of supervisors back then was not easy to work with. They were basically all elected to be anti Willie Brown machine or at least a, a strong majority. Uh, but but Gavin took it very personally. Uh, always got in a lot of uh, needless fights. And then, of course, he had the the sex scandal, um, yes. you know, with uh, someone in his office. Uh, I thought he his answer to that was was brilliant, basically saying uh, everything you've read and heard is true. That's so literally what he said in the press press conference. There, there's yes. no need for any follow up questions. But but then, of course, since then had had he's had his moments, like when he ran for governor the first time, and Jerry Brown was just totally mopping the floor with him. He drops out, goes to Hawaii, not without telling anybody, and uh, went on what we uh, in our editorial page called a sulkathon. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he's matured a lot since then. And I think in in Gavin Newsom's case, uh, a couple of factors. One is I think he married very well with uh, Jennifer. Uh, she's just a terrific spouse and and a great influence on him. I think parenthood has changed him as well. Um, as it has many of us, including myself. Uh, so I think he's um, he's a lot he's a lot better prepared to handle this recall than he would have been at other points in his career. Do you think he survives it? I I certainly would bet that he does, Joe. I would defer to you know your your column and the work that you've done, but I, I think he's in pretty good shape. the The one wild card would be. Um, would be if another Democrat jumps in and starts to draw uh, votes and make it feel like, well, it's not so bad if we get rid of Gavin. Um, I, th I think that's really the danger. And, uh, you know, as, as you pointed out in your, your Sunday column, certainly the, um, the economy is likely to look a lot better. The pandemic's likely to be a lot better by the time uh, people are going to vote. And uh, it's going to be a lot harder to toss them out than when, Parents are frustrated that uh, their kids aren't in school. Businesses, especially small businesses, want to open up. Yeah. Uh, so I think uh, I think his odds are good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Kamala Harris. Now we the the rap on Kamala for many years was that she was too cautious. Then all of a sudden she goes to Washington and she becomes the most you know liberal senator, uh, literally uh, on the Hill, um, and then becomes of course vice president. How did she change? over the years? Well, I think a, a couple things. First of all, I think when she uh, was a senator as opposed to being uh, an executive, it, she felt a bit liberated there. But I would say when she ran for president, the caution seeped back in. Yes. Uh, there were a lot of times where I remember one memorable town hall that she had early on in the campaign where her answer to most questions was, I think we need to have a conversation about that. Yes, she's doing a lot of conversing. <laughs> you know, yeah. And uh, in fact, you know, we... You I think know, you, you busted on her for that I, one. I, I remember I, that. Yes. I did take her to task for that. <laughs> and I think she's, but she's, she's very savvy. I think the way that she 
handled the, the campaign with Joe Biden uh, really, um, it was really adroit, you know, in terms of uh, uh, being a solid number two, a good surrogate for him. Uh, she does generate enthusiasm. Um, her her tra trail has, or her evolution has been, in some ways, very different than Gavin Newsom, because I thought as, as Gavin Newsom went, the bolder he got. You know, he, he becomes mayor, he sanctions the same-sex marriage and the defiance of state law later overturned, but still a pretty bold act. You know, what, what he's done coming out with, with marijuana certainly was, was mocked, um, guns. I think in some ways he, he was willing to push the envelope. I can't really think of um, any particular cases where Kamala Harris uh, has really pushed the envelope on, on policy. I mean, she's done, she's done some impressive things, no question. Uh, but let's put it this way. Gavin Newsom was for uh, legalizing marijuana while she was still talking about medical marijuana. Right. She, uh, was, she was not even, even close to him on that. But she, on, but on she's, she's been very savvy in that regard. You know, she's not, she's very difficult to, to box in. Uh, she's very, a very good listener. Um, I think, you know, already I think she's done well. I think she's going to be a good vice president. How that translates for the next step, We'll see. And how about Pelosi? When you, you probably, uh, she was maybe eight or 10 years into the job when you became editorial board uh, chief. And um, she was still fairly much a back backbencher, you know, at that point. How did she evolve over the years? And she, I, I, I remember one time I was on the business end of it in the editorial board when, because one thing I have to, uh, many compliments to you. And one of them was you were one of the first, your editorial board, one of the first to let reporters in. Not we don't vote or we don't, uh, you know, have any on whether the endorsement goes or what have you. But we listen and we report stories and we can ask questions, which I was always very, very grateful of. Um, but how did she change over the years? Well, I think Nancy Pelosi's always been very savvy. You know, her father, uh, at one time mayor of Baltimore, uh, she learned at his knee, uh, you know, kind of how to how to wield power. Uh, in a way, she reminds me of uh, has has traces of Willie Brown in the sense of knowing how to keep people in check. A good example was the uh, you know 2018 midterms where you know progressives were starting to feel their oats. Let's really push things. And and her thinking was, no, we need those centrists from Pennsylvania and other purple states to to have the majority do what we we need to do. Uh, so she's always been. Very savvy, and you know, the, I thought the most remarkable thing for for Nancy Pelosi uh, was when the Republicans gained control of the House, and she kept her minority leader status. Then later became Speaker again. Uh, that's not easy to do. In fact, I think right. you really have to go back in history to find any examples where a Speaker has lost the House, or at least the House has been lost on a Speaker's watch. And they maintain that position. And uh, do you think this is very likely her last term as speaker? Do you think she stays in, or do you think she just this is it? She would she she wouldn't go back to being Nancy Pelosi, representative from San Francisco. No, I can't imagine that she would. Particularly, which is a real possibility, if the Republicans were to take back the House in 2022, I cannot see her being in the minority party. Um, first of all, I think keeping the leadership post would be difficult in that circumstance. 
and she's accomplished a lot. I mean, she yeah. was the first, uh, uh, you know, I, she she can definitely keep you on your toes when you're interviewing her, as you've yes. seen. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. When she told me, I believe in the editorial board, obviously you don't know how Washington works. I would biz like a day after I read a critical column about her and she, she just and you took me aside afterwards you're gonna say we've all been there she's all, she's all given she's given us all the business uh, at one point or another my, my my favorite was we had an editorial board meeting where uh, deborah saunders was posing the question of you know our conservative columnists of what would you do if donald trump was elected and and you know uh, pelosi like gives her the glare that you know you and i have both seen yes. and and basically says you're asking me, like, what would I do if you became a brain surgeon <laughs> <laughs> and, were, and were operating on me? And, of course, ever the smartass, my response was, well, she'd become a liberal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of Deb, we love Deb, a friend, uh, friend and she, uh, but she also was one time, one of the funniest moments in the editorial board was when Pete Stark came in. Uh, Pete Stark was uh, not, not doing well. He had the... Uh, Longtime congressman from the East Bay, 40, sir, 40 years. He was coming in for the endorsement, but he had, uh, let's just say he had lost his fastball a little bit. And so he came in and he said, <clears throat> I have some statistics here that show that one of you has been donating to my opponent, who was a Democrat, who was Eric Swalwell. And so Pete says, looks through some binders and he says, yes, here it is right here. It's Deborah Saunders. <laughs> Do you remember that one? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and of course, De Deborah pops up and goes, I wouldn't donate to Swallow. I'm a Republican. <laughs> I'm a Republican. She goes, Pete, I'm a Republican. <laughs> and, and plus, obviously, Deborah, ethically would ethically, not. Ethically, of course. No ethically, way. no way. We'll have more with John Diaz after this short break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. And now here's more with John Diaz. The Chronicle's longtime editorial page editor. All right, let's talk about someone else who has also been accused of perhaps losing a little bit off the fastball lately, and that's Senator Feinstein. Again, when she comes into the editorial board, she comes in with several briefing books and several aides ready to hop to her every command. Um, now, she's taken a lot of heat since you, you guys endorsed her in 2018. Uh, what, what changes have you seen in her over the years? And do you think she can still, she's up for the job? Well, you know, it's you're you're asking somebody who's retiring at age sixty six, <laughs> uh, Joe. I I do believe I I think I'm at the age and uh, stage in my career where where I can say that there are times when people should step aside. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. and and certainly, uh, uh, you know, certainly she is not, you know, what she wants. Well, she still can be effective, but I mean. You know, her whole performance during uh, the Amy Coney Barrett hearing was was a little wince, wince-worthy and probably cost her the judiciary chairmanship when she praised Lindsey Graham for running a great hearing and then gave him the infamous hug. Um, I just think, you know, and in, in it's—I I understand why it's tough to walk away 
but at the same time, I think there are times, uh, there was a lot of speculation when she ran um, uh, back in 2018 of is she going to serve a full term? Right. Um, I think that's still an open question, uh, particularly if the Republicans were to take back the Senate in 2022, will she want to continue uh, as a minority member? Right. I don't know. You know, I just... I, I think, you know, one thing I love about redistricting reform that California voters did is that politicians do not own these districts. And Diane Feinstein does not own that Senate seat. You know, right. it should be competitive. Uh, it was certainly a point against her um, in 2018 when she would not, well, she wouldn't do a full on debate with Kevin DeLeon. No. It was very perfunctory. Which I thought was lame. Yeah. And as opposed to the debate where, you know, you have a chance and, you know, you and I have both been involved in debates where you get to ask questions, you get to ask follow-up questions. Um, I always like when we have editorial board meetings with multiple candidates where you have the candidates question each other, kind of Lincoln-Douglas style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. I, and I, I, I got to give you props. One of the the best debate moderators. You, you're very good. You, you don't let people prattle on, and and uh, and and we miss you. Maybe you can get some contract gigs in retirement <laughs> as, as a debate. Thing. I will play this 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 issue edition of uh, it's all political. <laughs> could be your, could be your, <laughs> use it as a resume, Joe, as a uh, reference of the blurb from Joe Garofoli. <laughs> yeah, for what that's worth. Now you have written thousands of editorials over the years. How, which ones do you want back? You're like, oh, Jesus, do we really endorse that guy? And we're like, oh, do we go for prop blank, blank? Oh, Jesus. Oh. And we, like six months later, a year later, you're like, damn. Well, I am going to admit, Joe, there are times when things have not exactly panned out as advertised, particularly on propositions. Um, I think a couple of examples I think of is the, the stem cell initiative. Which, uh, which we supported the first time around, did not the second because you looked at the um, sort of the cronyism that was going on there and uh, the lack of accountability, the lack of you know public access to uh, to records. I, I I think if I had to do that one over again, we would have opposed it. Um, I would say the other would be uh, Indian gaming, you know, Ooh. which which we supported and I think it played out a lot differently than advertised. You know, it was advertised as, as you know, first of all, I, I don't necessarily have a, a problem with, um, I'm not anti-gambling. I don't right. have a problem with, uh, you know, uh, Native Americans having a chance to, um, to, to uh, have an economic uh, uh, revival. But I think the thing is, if you look at the way it was advertised, it was here are these tribes in rural areas on traditional lands who otherwise do not have a shot at economic development. And, and this will give them that opportunity that they otherwise would not have. And then you quickly had this sort of reservation shopping where I don't, yeah. I don't believe, in fact, the San Pablo Casino was not only not traditional uh, Native American land, unless you want to argue that all of the United States was, which is not unreasonable. Technically, argument, yes. Yeah, yeah. But not in terms of the Indian Gaming Act. So George Miller, the congressman at the time, actually introduced a bill that literally rewrote history and said that that patch of San Pablo was traditional land for uh, for purposes. You had that kind of stuff going on. And, you know, we had some great stories in the Chronicle. I mean, great in terms of outrageous. Yeah. Of where, you know, tribes were basically uh, booting people out of the tribe, you know, uh, so that 
they didn't have to split the money as as many ways. So it was not as clean as it maybe could have been. And any candidates that you're like thinking, oh, why do we endorse them? Is there anyone that keeps you? <laughs> do you ever wake up in a cold sweat saying, back in '97 or whatever? You'd... Not really. With candidates, less so. Because the thing about candidates, uh, uh, unlike propositions. I mean, they all, they're all imperfect. <laughs> and there's always, yes. I mean, like we've, you know, endorsed uh, Gavin Newsom in every uh, election that he's run, but we've been highly critical of him at different times. We, um, we endorsed Willie Brown when he ran for re-election, which was, uh, you know, the, uh, his first time around was before me. Um, and, and although uh, I should say my former fellow columnist, Willie Brown, uh, <laughs> you had even to say though, that. <laughs> um, even even though we had endorsed him, you know, we, you know, we, you know, we're critical. Yeah. I, I always say, Joe, when we, when we endorse a candidate and if we supported a candidate, we're not in the tank with them. Like I've often said with Donald Trump, you know, we may disagree with him six days a week while he was president, but on the seventh day, if he does the right thing, we will support him. Yeah. Well, we waited four years for that seventh day. <laughs> <laughs> it never quite came, but uh, I think that's important to be in the, to be independent in that way, as opposed to if you're, you know, a, a party hack and it doesn't. It's boring and it's knee jerk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but I have to bring. There's one one editorial that I, uh -oh. I maximum respect, <laughs> you know, for 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 you and everything. But okay, 2010 Senate race. You know what I'm where I'm going with this. The the you, the editorial board declined to endorse either candidate, and there was uh, to refresh everyone's memory, Democratic Senator Barbara Boxer. Republican uh, former CEO Carly Fiorina, you wrote, quote, it is a dismal choice between an ineffective advocate for causes we generally support and a potentially strong advocate for positions we oppose. Neither merits our endorsement for the U.S. Senate. Like, was that a cop out? Would you have, would want, going back, would you have wanted to pick a, 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 a horse in that one or did you like, were you... Well, Joe, I would say 99.9% .9 of the time, you know, I believe that if you are telling people it's important to vote, yeah. that that you should make a choice. Yes. Let me just put it this way. There was a lot of discussion internally um, uh, to get to the point that I was comfortable with, if I can be diplomatic in that sense. Um, you know, if you look at the things that our, our editorial board st stands for, one is transparency and accountability. The only times we really saw Barbara Boxer uh, was at election time. She didn't other, come back. Yeah, and she, otherwise, unlike almost any other politician at any level. Um, and also, you know, we believed in uh, uh, in bipartisanship. And, and back then where bipartisanship was probably more possible than it is today. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was not Barbara Boxer. Uh, so it was a tough one. It was a tough decision. And... Uh, but to, to answer your question directly, would I rather, uh, if I had to roll back, would I, I make a call? Yeah, I would. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and it would not be for Carly. I don't. Th I didn't think it would be. No. <laughs> All right. So you've, you and you said this in your farewell column, which I would encourage everyone to read. It's it's really beautiful. It's touching. Uh, you you start out. You're a paper boy for the. For, for not the Chronicle, but for a rival newspaper. What was it, the Examiner? Or were you no, it was the, the Oakland Tribune. Oh, the Oakland Tribune. Oakland okay, Tribune. that's right, because you're an East Bay guy. I just didn't want to give any props to the <laughs> Oakland Tribune. <laughs> you didn't want, didn't want to link to have to link to them. Um, but the, uh, uh, you've worked for five publishers over that time, you say in this thing. Did anyone ever 
spike an editorial or an endorsement? You said you got support no matter what for an editor, independent editorial board. Were, that, were they all? I, I would say this. Uh, the publishers had different, different publishers had different level of uh, expressing their opinion. Um, but, but what I always found worked for me is when I know basically where we're headed uh, is I will go to the publisher and say, this is what, you know, we intend to do. And publishers tend to, you know, uh, have, have, pr have pretty much deferred you know, with in 99.9% coin of there was a couple coin of figure, um, but it's interesting that the very first presidential endorsement I made was 1996, Bill Clinton over Bob Dole, which had been the first Democrat that the Chronicle had endorsed for president, going back probably 60, 80 years. Really, with one exception, uh, the Chronicle did endorse Lyndon Johnson over Barry Goldwater. Uh, it was we were family owned at the point. Uh, the family right, and much to you know, it was very helpful to me that the family by 1996 was fighting a lot over everything, including you know politics. Maybe not so much as you know whether to sell the darn paper. Um, so you know our editor at the time, Bill German, came to me and said, uh, "Who who do you think we should endorse?" Uh, who was the editorial board? And I said, well, clearly Bill Clinton. And um, and so Bill German and I hatched up this plan. At this point, the majority of shareholders for the Chronicle were Republicans. So as was at that point, the CEO, John Sias. So, and this is your first editorial, my, your first presidential editorial. This is a, this is big, your, your first big test. Joe, I had been on the editorial page as, as editor for, literally only a matter of months oh my god and i wanted to reverse the course of you know what had been a republican newspaper in fact even for governor i mean we endorsed you know we endorsed reagan we endorsed dick magian we endorsed pete wilson even wow. you know uh in 1994 um so bill german goes okay let's do this we're not going to show him a draft uh talking points <laughs> let's go ahead and have the thing typeset and, and show like a, a typeset version. And so we gave it to, you know, that not, not that, we're, that, that we're basically looping them in as opposed to asking for permission. Yeah. Um, so John Sias, the late John Sias, uh, takes a look at this editorial, comes back and says, well, I can live with it, but can we have a paragraph in there that, that Bill Clinton has not been all that... Uh, strong on entitlements, all that uh, courageous on entitlements. And I, I was fine with that. So I added that, which is something we had editorialized anyway. So then he comes back and he says, okay, I can live with this. But there's, I think it was 15 shareholders who need to know what their paper is going to do before it, it, the press is run. So we, we ended up faxing it. There, there no email at that time. Yes. 1996, faxed it to all of them, and uh, they came back, and uh, they were all silent, except the one 30% shareholder, Nan McAvoy, who is uh, a Democrat. And she goes, "Well, she goes, this is great, but since we're since we're endorsing him, can we do it a little more enthusiastically?" <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and I said, and Bill German, uh, the wise wise old editor, said, "You know, at this point." Not a single Republican shareholder has objected. Do we really want to send them a revised version? 
And so she said, yeah, yeah, you're right. And we, uh, the thing ran. Our first, uh, wow. the first Democrat. Wow, in 60 years. Yeah. That's right. And then a tour award, obviously much more uh, left-leaning uh, since then. But that's, you, you helped sort of shape that, that switch. Yeah, it was, it was sort of a, and we've not endorsed a Republican since. <laughs> for, for president. For president, yes. We, we endorsed Governor uh, Schwarzenegger when he ran for a second term. Um, you know, frankly, um, you know, when when there have been centrist Republicans who come through, uh, whether it's Steve Poisner for uh, insurance commissioner or someone like Jim Kinnean in the South Bay, uh, we will endorse them. But it's a little tough in the Bay Area because roughly, you know, the and Catherine the, Baker, the, I think you endorsed yeah, her. Catherine, Catherine Baker, Baker, Republican. Yeah, twice, woman. Yeah, yeah, twice. Yeah. Uh, and, and so we're certainly you know, not going to just punch the Democratic ticket by any means. But, you know, one of the tough things, as you know, covering politics is in the Bay Area, it's so impossible in most of these districts for a Republican to have a chance. You don't have anybody with any stature, credibility. Um, it's rarely close. Yeah. It's rarely close. And that and that's happening now at the statewide level, too. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what has, how have, how's doing this changed over this period of time, and how are politicians different? Well, certainly, new. Yeah, I think uh, a couple of things have changed. One is editorial boards have have shrunk. You know, uh, around around the state, including you know, we we do not have the staff that we had just even a few years ago. A lot of editorial boards have walked away from doing endorsement interviews, and that that's not the way we do things at the chronicle that's why i want to ask what what do you think about that do you think that's um uh i've, I've had this people that's what people when they when they hear that you when they heard that you're leaving they say well what do you think it's going to happen to the editorials and you know depending on where they are in the political spectrum they're like oh you know people still look to those things a lot and then other people say have told me like well I, that seems like an antiquated notion that's like the publisher's viewpoint or like a, a rich guy many it's always a guy as uh, opinion from the editorial page, but but the editorial page is a much more of a community. Well, you you tell me you're you're the guy who's been doing it 25 years. Well, yeah, it's a within the business. There's a lot of talk of should we continue to have unsigned editorials? Right. Are endorsements the right thing to do? Yeah. Um, I I just think if you look at the newspaper as a role, uh, be above and beyond covering the news, investigating, uh, but also as a community leader. Uh, there's things that you're going to want to weigh in on, and it it just would not make any sense to me to to campaign for whether it's we need more housing development. These are the things that are getting in the way of uh, affordable housing, and then when it comes time to uh, make to vote on people who can actually affect that policy, to walk away. Um, so there's a lot of talk about. I mean, you, you talk to the candidates and the political consultants, and they'll they'll. They'll try and scoff and say, you know, nobody really endorsements don't really win elections, and the, I don't think they move the needle all that much. The the lower profile the uh, issue or the the race is, the more influence we have. But the thing is, so many of these races are so close, and, and the props, like with, especially in California, we have like 10, 12 props sometimes, and 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 we're like, where do you go? Year. Honestly, yes, <laughs> depending how many people voted the previous time. The um, so it's yeah, it can be really. It can be confusing, and it is sort of a, a, a voice, a, well, you know, you know, a trusted voice. And it's interesting, Joe, if, if you look at the last election, um, 
And this has been the case, especially now that we're doing so much digital tracking of uh, what people are reading. Um, you look at the, the two weeks leading up to the election, our voter guide, which contains the endorsements along with uh, a lot of background um, stories from yourself and others, almost every day it's in the top two or three uh, every mm -hmm. day mm -hmm. in the endorsements. The thing that was interesting on the endorsements uh, this past time, it was the lower profile, the Proposition 19 on uh, on the uh, uh, property tax that that was that was high up there. You could tell that people were looking for that information. They may not necessarily agree with you, and that's that's perfectly fine. But they want to cut through it because, as as we know, so many of these measures are not only tough to get through. The title and summary may be may de be deceptive because right. it's done by the attorney general who uh, oftentimes can be a partisan is another editorial pet peeve of mine. Yes, uh, it's brutal, yeah. But, but, you know, the and a lot of times they can do just the opposite of what the title and summary look like. Like, you know, the, um, the measure back in, you know, uh, that got the 1990s that got rid of affirmative action was called the California Civil Rights Initiative. And and what it was doing was curtailing opportunities for women and uh, people of color. Yeah. So let's uh, one more thing. What? Who was the most different? Going back to to politicians, what? Who was the most different? Um, you know, after the editorial board was over, and you there's there's always that sort of an informal time. Who was like a, a different person in those walls? You know, both in front of you, and then when the mic is sort of off, so to speak than they are in public facing. Do you think, is there anyone who, who is like, well, oh, this person seems a lot more human than they, or this person's a jerk, you know, here, and they, they present a different way. Is there anyone who you recall that's well, very it, different public persona than their editorial board persona? It's an interesting question. And you know who immediately comes to mind is Jesse Jackson, who is really? such a dynamic speaker, you know, you expect when he's going to come in the editorial board that he's just going to fill the room. Yeah. Uh, he was very thoughtful and introspective and, and soft-spoken. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, very, I mean. He came through recent with the tech stuff, like when he was trying to do uh, promote tech inclusivity. Is yeah. that, does that remember a few yeah. years, like four or five years ago? Yeah, remember? it was. Yeah. And, and so he's been through a couple times. Yeah. And, and it really struck me like, Oh, this is Jesse Jackson. <laughs> I mean, very, very impressive, impressive, but in a different way than he is in front of a large crowd. I'll tell you what was not impressive, impressive about Jesse Jackson. The last time he came through and afterwards I was interviewing him for a story. And uh, and I, he was he pulled out his phone and he had a flip phone. And I go, Rev, come on. <laughs> You're going to be talking about tech stuff. You, you can't bust out the flip phone. And he goes, I know, my staff tells me, but I like this phone. <laughs> Okay, so, I, you know, I'm going to miss you as a friend, as a colleague. There will be many times as we, we throughout the week, I, I pop into your office and we shoot the shit and we, and we talk about stuff. And uh, I'm going to miss you for you help me riff on stuff. And, and, uh, and, and, and personally, I'm going to miss you. And, and so um, uh, your, your counsel, I'll miss your counsel and your smarts. And so I wish you good luck. What, what do you, so what's next? You have many interests outside of work. You, you like to ski, you fish, you 
you uh, you're hiking, you're doing all kinds of stuff. What, do, do you have any plans? Projects at home. You're, you're, so you got some projects at home. Okay. <laughs> In fact, here we are on your deck, and I was asking, I was assuming that you did it, Joe. No, uh, no, I guess you're no, not I'm a di not, DIYer. I'm a I'm a yard guy. I'm not a deck guy. <laughs> you know, I really don't know what I'm going to do next. I mean, uh, I've been either working or going to school full time since age 16. So I'm really looking forward to um, taking a break and not doing something right away and, and seeing what comes. I mean, teaching's a possibility, uh, writing in some capacity. Um, but you know, as much as I love this job, it's pretty intense. And it's, I mean, every, every morning when you wake up, there's a deadline. And, and every, every weekend that you begin, there's a possibility that something's gonna happen that it's going to have you break into action. So I'm looking forward to being, you know, relieved of that. I think it's going to be, there will be a period of decompression for sure. Oh, yeah, I, can, I can't imagine. Yeah, But yeah. at the same time, uh, I, I don't feel compelled to rush into anything right away. Good for you. Well, congratulations on a wonderful career, award-winning career. You've shaped many issues around the Bay Area, around California. And uh, thank you as a reader and as a friend and a colleague. Well, thanks, Joe. And I'm certainly... Uh, congratulations on getting your uh, uh, really showcased position for your column on Sundays. You know I'm going to be reading that every Sunday. I, will you become another, like a cranky reader then? Would you And, and yell at me uh, on email with, with maybe an assumed name or something? Well, I, I will use my real name. And, <laughs> uh, in fact, you, you may see letters to the editor. <laughs> <laughs> I would love, that would be hilarious. <laughs> All right, so let's, uh, we're going we're gonna to turn off the mics now and have a cocktail. So let's awesome. do that. All right. Thanks, Joe. Thanks. I'd like to thank you all for listening. I hope that you and your families are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank John for being here today and wish him well on his next adventure. And damn, I got to find a new guest host. I'd like to thank the King, King Kaufman, for producing today's episode. And a shout out, as always, to our fabulous theme music. That's Cattle Call, written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. And remember, no matter who you endorse from the ivory tower, it's all political.